Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. Just a bit outside. If anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? It's time for Powell at the Park. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Cubs, Sox, all your Chicago baseball news. Dynamite drop in money. Here's your host, Kevin Powell. Play ball! Hello, old friends. Kevin Powell here. Powell at the Park Podcast returns episode number 13. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I apologize for the uh, two-week hiatus or so. I know many of you have been uh, sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for the next episode of the Powell at the Park Podcast. We're in between radio stations right now, so it's been kind of crazy from Tribune Tower to over here at 303 uh, East Wacker, which is where I'm at now. So there's been limited studio space. It's been kind of crazy. So um, from here on out, plan is uh, every week another episode. On this week's episode, very special guest, and he's my boss. So after you listen to this, make sure you tweet at him. Um, maybe send a handwritten letter, 303 East Wacker, Chicago, Illinois, to uh, Mr. Cat, Dave Ennett. Sports director here at WGN. He's my boss. He's the voice of the Wildcats. You can hear him every morning with Steve Cochran on GN 6 to 10 a.m. Had a really uh, fun conversation with Dave. We talked a lot about his broadcasting career. Um, We talk a lot of Northwestern. I'm a a big Northwestern fan. They're Chicago's Big Ten team, if you hadn't heard. Always loved Northwestern, and and this has just sort of been an exciting time for the Cats with the new with the new complex on the lake. They got a huge transfer in Hunter Johnson from Clemson, one of the top underclassmen quarterbacks in the nation, many believe. And um, there's a game uh, going to be held at Wrigley in 2020 again. So there's some exciting things happening with Northwestern. Anyways, Dave's the voice of the Cats, so he joined me to talk about his his run with Northwestern. You know, people. People may not realize this. Dave used to be the a fill-in for Cubs games. Of course, the Cubs were on GN for so many years, and Dave's been here for so many years that he would fill in for Pat Hughes. Um, he tells a good story about the first time he ever called the Cubs game, which is a, a really cool moment. Dave's been a part of the Bears broadcast when the Bears used to be on GN. Uh, he's, he's, he's done a whole lot, had a great career. So anyways, we talk a lot about his broadcasting run, his broadcasting career, and then we talk a, a little Cubs and Sox as well. So um, tweet at him, at Dave Ennett, E-A-N-E-T. Tell him how much you love this podcast. Maybe mention that uh, I should get a raise or something along those lines. Every week, though, every episode, I like to start the show with the rundown. Resurgence is the word of the rundown this week. Resurgence. Jason Hayward, folks, over the past few weeks, hitting around 400. He's raised his batting average to around 280. I'll say this, and I get into this a little bit with with Dave later on in the podcast. Been around this team for a few years now. One of the guys I've come to really appreciate and respect has been Jason Hayward because he signs that big deal, and Cub fans were frustrated with him, particularly at the plate. He, He hasn't been able to hit much at all over the past couple years, and he's kind of putting it together now. We don't know for sure if this is going to be a, a full season worth of quality at-bats, but it seems just different this time. This doesn't just feel like a little week or two-week spurt here. This does feel like, you know, maybe he's found something, maybe something's clicking for him. Um, one of the reasons I really respect the guy is that for all the scrutiny he's faced, and kind of rightfully so. I mean, you sign a $180 million contract, I think you're expected to do more than just play quality defense. Expected to produce at the plate as well. Maybe maybe anticipation. the expectations were a little bit higher 
than they should have been for Hayward at the plate. But I'll just say this. He always faced the music. He would always meet with the media. He would always talk with us, no matter what happened in the game, no matter how much he was struggling. Um, He's a great teammate. And, of course, what he did at the the World Series speech, which, again, I get into that with Dave a little bit, about um, how he's basically written his name in the Cubs history book forever. And I've talked to Cub fans who have who have said that. Look, they get they get annoyed with with Hayward, they get frustrated with Hayward. Um but that speech was something, obviously. Who knows what would happen with or without it. But um it's 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 uh I've seen Hayward up close grinding and grinding and grinding. And I was the one who kind of almost was mocking Cub Nation back at spring training. Because we heard the same things from Hayward we had heard the past two spring trainings, that this is different, he's got a new swing, he's got a different approach, the mechanics, this and that and this and that. Well, it seems to be working whatever he's doing right now. And I've seen Jason Hayward take batting practice over and over. Just the other Sunday before the game, he's hitting balls off the tee at Wrigley before the game. So he's grinding it and it's working and I appreciate that and I respect Jason Hayward. So resurgence for Jason Hayward. Resurgence for James Shields as well. James Shields, for a little bit there, was basically uh, just about everybody, every Sox fan shit list, right? They were just furious with James Shields, and it was like any time Fernando Tatis Jr. got a hit, everyone just be like, damn you, James Shields, he could still be here. He could be a part of this rich farm system. He has completely reinvented himself. He, um, you know, for about a year or so, year and a half, the Sox traded for him early on. We know the story. Shields and for Tatis was involved with the, with the Padres deal. It, it hadn't worked. It didn't work. Shields was was awful. He's given up a ton of runs. This year it's been different. He, he, he His first two starts in June weren't all that great, but he was really good in May. He's eating up innings, and honestly... He's probably pitching himself into a really good situation. And what I mean by that is he's probably pitching himself into or onto a roster that's competing for the postseason. And I really do think the Sox are going to find some bidders for Shields. I don't think they're going to get a whole lot for him. But you, they're probably going to get a prospect. You know, he's he's talked about reinventing himself after his last start. He had this to say. Yeah, I feel really good. I feel really good with it. I've been working really hard uh, over the past, uh, you know, year or so on it. Um, you know, so I feel really good. But more importantly, my body feels really good right now. Manager Rick Renteria basically said the same thing. Multiple years now. Um, again, I he's reinvented himself and he, and he continues to... <clears throat> I think impress everybody with the way he does what he does. So for James Shields, who had struggled, he's reinvented himself. He's talked about it. He's practically he's got this new arm slot, protects the ball a little bit longer. His velocity is definitely down. There's no question about that. But he's found a way. Good for him, man. Kudos to James Shields. He's probably buying himself an extra year or two in this league when it looked like he'd be out of this league practically a year ago. Right? I mean, so respect to him. Some resurgence from from James Shields, big game James. And, um, you know, he's probably going to find himself in a situation where I think this is why I think Shields can get a, a, a team willing to take a shot on him. Because let's say, uh, let's say it's the Dodgers, right, who have had all sorts of injuries. Let's say they need an innings eater. Shields is a, a SoCal guy. And the Dodgers are in contention, and they don't want to completely wear down their bullpen. And they say, okay, well, let's get Shields. He can just eat some innings for us, buy us some time, maybe give us a couple good starts here and there. Those are the scenarios, I think, where Shields could fit in. A team that maybe loses a starting pitcher, and they say, okay, look, the timetable for this guy to return is a month. And you look at the calendar, and there's six weeks left in the post in the regular season, and you're fighting for playoff contention. 
Shields wouldn't be all that bad, right? Throw him in the mix, eat some innings, make sure your bullpen's not getting completely wiped out before October. So I, I think it's just a matter of, um, and there's still a lot of time before the deadline. We'll, we'll continue to, to, to cover this and get get into that stuff, but I just think that a team potentially could really, really use a pitcher like James Shields, a veteran guy who can can fill some innings for you and, and give you some, some quality starts here and there. So resurgence, that's the word of the episode on the rundown. All right, I teased it earlier. Dave Ennett, sports director at WGN, voice of the Wildcats, was kind enough to come on the podcast and uh, talk to me about a variety of things. We'll talk about the Cubs and Sox towards the back end of the conversation. Much of it, though, is centered around uh, Dave's broadcasting career, his time around uh, Northwestern football, basketball. Uh, Dave's been a part of Bears broadcast and talked about the um, uh, uh, some baseball calling as well, play-by-play as well. So thanks to Dave, Dave Ennett. Here's our conversation with him. We're now joined by the one and only, the great Dave Ennett, sports director here at WGN. You can hear him every Monday through Friday with Steve Cochran and, of course, the voice of the Wildcats for both football and basketball. How you doing, Dave? Kevin, it's an honor to be on with you. Yes, I figured I should probably have my boss on at some point. Um a lot to talk about. We'll get to Cubs and Sox and then how the season's been going and things like that. But a ton of Northwestern news lately. The the athletic complex, um, <clears throat> sticking with the baseball theme, there's going to be another football game at Wrigley. Um, and then a huge transfer that was just announced from Clemson. Um, exciting times for Northwestern football. I realize this era of Pat Fitzgerald hasn't made it to a Rose Bowl or anything like that, but it feels sort of like the golden era of Northwestern football in some ways. Yeah, I think it does. I, I think you've got an awful lot of things happening right now. They've got a lot of momentum. They had a 10-win season last year, back-to-back bowl wins. You mentioned uh, the new commitment they got this past week from Hunter Johnson, the transfer quarterback. who's the top-rated quarterback in the class of 2017, and uh, he was brought into Clemson as the heir apparent to Deshaun Watson and uh, ended up that Clemson was in pretty good shape at the quarterback position before he arrived, saw an opportunity uh, maybe to go elsewhere, and his brother had played at Northwestern, and he knew the coaches. They had recruited him, and so he decided to go there. So he'll be eligible in 2019, which happens to be when Northwestern will need a quarterback because Clayton Thorson will have moved on. So uh, it's, a, it's a big commitment for them. You know, I don't know how many, many people realize this. They've had a run of really good quarterbacks come through there over the years, from you know, going back to Steve Schnur in the Rose Bowl days to C.J. Bechet, Brett Bazinet, and Mike Kafka, and, of course, uh, Trevor Simeon, who ended up becoming a starting quarterback in the NFL, and, uh, and Danny Persa and, and Clayton. But, you know, they've come close on some other guys like uh, uh, Sam Darnold and Andrew Luck. Uh, I think Andrew Luck, his last two schools were Northwestern and Stanford. He went to Stanford. So, you know, to get a guy of that caliber and, and a guy that the Northwestern coaches really like personally, they think he's a everything you hear about this kid, he's just a perfect fit for Northwestern for what they try to represent on and off the field. So I think it's a pretty good deal. So do you think he commits to Northwestern 
without the new facilities and everything included and where they're at as a program. Um, But do you think that sort of was the tipping point when you walk into that complex and you're overlooking Lake Michigan and you got views of the Chicago sky? That had to factor in a bit, right, whether they admit it or not? I asked Pat Fitzgerald that on the air the other day, and he said – that you know, and it's not about that. It's it's about the overall picture of the program. Now that said, the first time I walked in there after it was completed, Kevin, I I couldn't. I had to kind of double check to see where I was because uh, I've been around that campus for a long time. I've never seen anything like that. It is breathtaking, and it's if you're a high school recruit and you walk in there and you see this place. I mean, it takes your breath away. So. I've got to think it's going to be a huge asset for them in years to come. Well, we talked about the transfer. He's likely going to be starting in 2020, which, of course, is when Northwestern returns to Wrigley Field. Uh, you were calling the game last time it was there, when it was Northwestern Illinois in 2012. Um, did they did they make, did they have an aux box for you guys, or were you just calling it from the normal broadcast booth? Because that's maybe not the best vantage, right, for it. Because of the way it was running and the way it was formatted, or you were in the normal broadcast booth at Wrigley? We were in what was then the WGN Radio Cubs broadcast booth. and, and, uh, <laughs> and the What was that like for you? I mean, how tough was that? Well, it was tough. It, it was tough because you lose perspective. Um, I'll tell you, it was a good preparation for me for the Pinstripe Bowl two years ago because we were in the Yankees' home radio booth at Yankee Stadium almost – the same vantage point, except we were further back than you are at Wrigley at Yankee Stadium. We were further from the end zone, which meant that the the opposite end zone had to be 150 yards away. And what you end up doing when you're trying to broadcast a game from that angle, you, you tend to lose perspective. You, you tend to, it's just you're not used to, to calling a game in that from that vantage point and it took some getting used to and quite frankly when uh the teams were at the opposite end zone which wasn't a factor at Wrigley because they played in one direction they played towards us Uh, the offense was were moving towards us because of the short field now they've remedied that for the game in 2020 but uh, you know, it, it took some getting used to, and I realized I had a real-time high-definition monitor right in front of me that I could have been calling the game from. But you're not used to doing that, and and somehow it feels like if you're calling it off a television screen, you're not really doing it. So, uh, but eventually, I realized that <laughs> I had to to get to get through the end of the game. Well, in terms of Northwestern returning there, it's obviously got to be. Very cool, right? I mean, the entire atmosphere you experienced it. It's got to be big for the program too to say, "Hey, you get a chance to play at Wrigley Field. How cool is that?" Well, and Pat Fitzgerald mentioned the other day that uh, I asked him what the reaction has been. And he said to be able to tell his players. I mean, these kids haven't played there. They've a lot of them are from this area and or they're baseball fans, but they certainly know of Wrigley Field and maybe they've been there before, but the idea of playing in Wrigley Field with all its history I think is really exciting to them. And when I covered sports in Chicago for a long time and I always maintain one of my big regrets was never seeing the Bears play at Wrigley Field. And the first time I went to a Bears game was shortly after they moved to Soldier Field in the early 70s. Well, 
Uh, when Jim Phillips became the athletic director at Northwestern, I mentioned that to him. And he said well, one of the things he wanted to do was get a football game at Wrigley Field. And it took a few years of work, and it took some some uh, changes at the ballpark. They were able to do it in 2010, and uh, obviously under rather odd circumstances given the way the game was played. But uh, now this will be a regular college football game, and I think that this is a big accomplishment for Northwestern, and it's a big deal for the Cubs because at part and parcel with this, they want to host a bowl game, and it looks like they're going to get one. So for Northwestern, is this going to be every other year, every few years? Do, do you have an idea of when this is, how that's going to work schedule moving forward? I don't think it's ever going to be every year. And I think uh, Jim's been pretty clear about that. I, I think they feel an obligation to play games in Evanston, in their home stadium, which which they should. And you know, some of it also depends. Some years you're going to have five Big Ten games at home. Some years you're going to have four. And so... I'm I'm not sure that you want to be giving up too many of those home. Could games. water it down a little bit. Too. Yeah, I, I think it could, and I think it also loses some of the uniqueness if you do it too often. This is ten years apart, and now I don't think they'll wait ten years to play again. But I could see it being two or three years before they play another one. So, how many games do you think? A rough estimate, Dave, between between football, basketball. And people may not remember you. You filled in for Pat Hughes for many years when when the Cubs were on WGN. So, what was it like? Because there's so much history with the Cubs, of course, but so much history with the Cubs and broadcasting mm-hmm. with WGN, of course, Channel Nine, the radio station, Harry Carey, Jack Brickhouse, so many legends. What was it like calling Cub games on WGN? Well, you know, it's, I don't know how many people realize this, Kevin, but the first time I did it was actually long before. Uh, Pat was even doing the games. It was after uh, Harry Carey had his stroke in 1987. Dan Fabian, who was uh, our at the time our general manager, sent me down to St. Louis for a Cubs-Cardinals series and had me sit in and do some of the games there. Now, at the time, our crew was uh, – we had uh, Dwayne Stats and Jim Fry were the broadcasters on WGN Radio uh, on on most of the games. And then you also had, I think, Lou Boudreaux and, and Vince Lloyd would sit in on the home games. I think this would have been around that time. And so they, uh, they sent me to St. Louis to be the extra – voice in the booth because what they were doing was they were using uh, celebrities to pinch hit for Harry during the three innings on radio. So we're down in St. Louis. Jack Buck came in the booth for the middle three innings. And uh, Ken Wilson, who was also broadcaster for the Cardinals back then, came in one day. And then I would fill in sort of the extra in the odd innings here and there and and sort of be the third guy in the booth along with Jim and and uh on one occasion uh, Jack Buck and I mean it was a, it was a great thrill but I was so nervous I can't even begin to tell you and you and I do this every we're in front of a microphone constantly I never get nervous in front of my you get excited but you don't really get nervous for that, I was nervous. Uh, you have an audience of some legends sitting around you. Yeah, I mean, a little to, bit different. To, to sit in a booth with Jack Buck for me was was rather intimidating. And I turned to to Jim Fry at one point during a break. I said, "Jim, how am I doing?" He said, 
Ah, you're just like all the others. <laughs> you know, so that's, I took Maybe that, that's a compliment. I took that as a compliment. Yeah, you fit right in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but you know, it was great to, to have a chance to pinch hit with, with Pat on those games, with, with Keith Moreland and with Dave Otto and, um, and Ron Coomer. And, and, you know, it's a, but, but you go into a baseball booth when you're not there every day, and it is different because there is a, a certain bonding that takes place among the guys who do 162 games. And so uh, as much as I was around them, I'm still not there every game home and away. So it's a, it takes a little getting used to. But it was I loved it. I, I've always loved doing baseball. I um, will be honest with you, I don't know if I have the uh, – durability or the just the stamina to do 162 games i have great admiration for guys like ed farmer and darren jackson and pat hughes and ron coomer len casper the guys who are there jason benetti and you know guys who are there day in and day out with a team it it's it's a grind man it's a going to the ballpark every day i mean you go you're there a lot and imagine doing it home and road. You get into hotels at four four thirty in the morning. You get home at that time after a long road trip. And it's uh, it's. I'm not in any way saying that it's not one of the greatest jobs right. in the world because we all know it is. Yeah. Well, and getting to know Ed and DJ this year now that Sox are on GN. You know, Ed's a West Coast guy, so I was talking to Dave Zaslowski, the producer, and I'm like, so where does the farmer live around? And he goes, the guy's the guy just works at it. He's a machine. He lives out of hotels, essentially, and does it every day. So it's, uh, it's a workload for those guys. Um, okay. Um, last question in terms of the broadcasting. <clears throat> You've done Bears, Northwestern, Cubs, a little bit of everything. Do you have a favorite sport you like to be around, cover, and call? Well, obviously, I've done so much uh, Northwestern between football and men's basketball over the years, and for that matter, you know, some of the women's basketball over the years, too. Um, but I've done football longer, a little bit longer than I've done basketball. But people ask me, which, which is your preference? They're both really different. And I think if you ask me in October – which you prefer, I'd say football. And if you ask me in January, I'd say basketball. And I, it's not a cop-out answer, but it's just very different. Football, what I love about it is that it's a buildup for a week. It's it's kind of takes on its own life over the course of the week, from the end of the game on Saturday till talking to people after the game about how it went. And you start already to look ahead a little bit. Then Sunday, I begin my preparation for the following game and then monday you get even more information about what transpired once the coaches have looked at the tape what transpired the previous saturday and then they're practicing on tuesday and on wednesday and different news items come up and you you, t- you get more information on the opposing team so it, it's got this this sort of just this timeline that I really enjoy following right up to walking into the stadium the day of the game. And and I tell people this, and sometimes they look at me funny. I've always enjoyed getting in the booth like two to three hours early and watching the stadium come to life. Because I get there about three hours before the game, two and a half for road games if I'm traveling with the team, and do my pregame show with the coach. And then I go to the booth, and I love watching – from the time the players come out to start warming up, 
to the time that the officials are testing the ref's mic, to the guy rehearsing the national anthem, to maybe the band rehearsing, to uh, the moment where they open the gates and the fans slowly start to come in. And, and what, I, what do you think that is? Is it just watching it from the ver- from chapter one to the last chapter? You want to see it all? Does it brings a little context and perspective it, to the whole thing? It's almost time time lapse photography, but in your mind's eye, you're sort of watching it all unfold from the time you go in and there's no one in the stadium to the time when there are, depending where you are, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people in there, and the, they're roaring. So it's just something I've always enjoyed about watching the state, and it's no different. With baseball, really, you watch the ballpark kind of come to life from batting practice to where they clear the field to where the grounds crew comes out and sprays the infield and you know the fans make their way in. I, I just have always enjoyed the process of watching a ballpark or a stadium come alive before a game. I, I hear you. I love watching it and also listening to it, hearing it. You hear the you hear the the, the grills get fired up. You kind of hear the crew come in. So. I, I can see where you're coming from. But to further answer your question, though, basketball is much different. You have a game, and, and much like baseball, where you have a game every day, right. so you go through that process, it's accelerated. And basketball, it's slightly accelerated because you'll have three games during the course of a week, perhaps, and uh, sometimes you'll have a tournament where you have three games in three days. So it it, it it's a much shorter turnaround time. But it, so it's a different kind of preparation, but it's one I enjoy also. Okay, outside of Ryan Field, favorite football stadium to call a game at? Favorite football stadium to call a game at would be, I think, uh, Camp Randall in Madison. I just love the atmosphere there. But a close second, uh, and I really like a lot of them, but a close second now, and it's fairly recent that I've been there, is uh, Memorial Stadium, Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, when Nebraska came into the Big Ten, I was like, well, I don't know about this. I'm not so sure this is going to be a good fit. But uh, from just the whole experience of game day in Lincoln, it's like the whole state of Nebraska descends on this city, and it doubles or triples in size that day. And it's just, I just think, one of the greatest atmospheres in, in athletics, period. Nebraska will be a Northwestern. Best home slate in the, in the nation, in my right. opinion. Notre Dame and Wisconsin. list goes on and on. Okay, let's talk about present-day Cubs and White Sox. Uh, let's start with the Sox. Playing much better as of late. Big part of it has to do with starting pitching. I also credit a lot to Ricky Renteria. He's been very consistent with his message to this team. They're young. Um, we've said rebuild a million times. But I think this is kind of, over the past few weeks here, kind of what we are more anticipating rather than that first month or so of the season. You know, I think it's really important when you have a team like this, and we saw Ricky do this with the Cubs. I, I think it is exactly what we expected to see from this team, uh, from Ricky, and it's kind of what we saw when he was with the Cubs, too. When you have a young team, there are going to be mistakes. Everybody knew that this year going in. And when you have a team with a lot of young players, you can't beat them up. I mean, Yuan Mankata screws up a play, and let's face it, I mean, he's had some moments where he struggled at second base. But but you're not going to crush him over that. You're going to take take and make these teachable moments, and I'm sure that's going to make him a better player down the road. As a result, I'm I'm sure that's the approach, and that's the appropriate rep- approach too. Yeah, one of the things you know, I had a conversation with Adam Hogue, who does post game for the Sox here on WGN, and. We were talking about Dylan Covey, and and that's a perfect example that I've kind of been telling Sox fans that 
you know, and Sox fans like to have these hypotheticals where they look at look at the current prospect and the and the farm system that they have right now, and they like to project that the lineup is going to be all those guys that are in the system now. And I'm like, well, look at Dylan Covey, a Rule Five draft pick just a year ago, and who knows, he could be solidifying himself into this rotation for the long term and when this championship window comes. So it is going to be some guys are going to fall off. Some guys are, are going to emerge where you didn't necessarily think they were, right? I mean, that's and, and it's part of a larger process for the side. Absolutely. There are guys on this team who are going to be here for years. There are guys who are playing now who give you moments where, hey, that guy's pretty good. That's pretty encouraging. But he's probably not going to be here. Or there's somebody better either at Charlotte or at Birmingham or maybe at Winston-Salem. We don't know. But who's going to make their way up? And and that's what all professional sports are about. It's it's You're there until somebody replaces you, and they're going to try to replace you. And that's what uh, the White Sox are trying to do. That said, I mean, I, I think you also need depth in your organization. So you, you don't want to lose sight of that either. You you have is nothing wrong with having uh, positions where you're going to have a lot of guys competing for spots, and that's okay. But I think that, yeah, there's no question. There are guys playing now, and you got to be careful not to fall in love with guys right now because they may not be here in a year or two years doesn't mean that they're not good players. It just means there might be somebody better coming up. I completely agree. Let's flip to the Cubs real quick. Can you think of a guy in this town, in any sport, that's gotten off to a worse start than you, Darvish, has because he signs this big deal, Cub fans aren't happy with him, all while Jake Arrieta's pitching pretty well with Philly. And it was basically an either-or, Arietta or Darvish. Cubs kind of put all their, their, their stock into, into Darvish. It's obviously too early to tell which deal is better because it's a six-year deal. It's a long-term deal for Arietta, But it it is a storyline. It is a, a pretty rough start for Darvish. Yeah, it is. It's bad optics, I think, is the the way people would phrase it now. It just it doesn't look good uh, juxtaposed against the Arietta performance in Philadelphia and, and what he did here and how much a part of the franchise he was. Look, that said... It would be different if the Cubs were saying, it just said, well, we didn't need Arietta, that we didn't like Arietta, we didn't appreciate what he did here. That's never come out of anybody at Wrigley Field. They never, they never did anything to denigrate what he had done. And a lot of times, Kev, when you have a player move on who's been successful for you, but for whatever reason – contractually, financially, becomes a free agent, he leaves, you trade him, whatever, you tend to get the whispers, well, we didn't really think he could do this. You know, I know there was stuff the last couple of years, well, he's lost a little of his his velocity and this and that. I, I haven't heard that since he signed with Philadelphia. And, and, you know, I think that that's, I think, a real tribute to what he did here and the fact that the Cubs know, look, this is the reality of baseball in 2018. You're not going to have everybody. And when you delve into free agency, you're not going to hit them all. I mean, it, look, it doesn't happen. And that's not to say that you, Darvish, won't get his act together. There is the pressure that comes with a big contract, which comes with going to a new city, as as a free agent and and sometimes there is that that feeling of pressure and 
I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know if that's why you Darvish hasn't pitched better than he has. Uh, but like a lot of people, I, I'm not going to write him off or say that he can't get his season turned around. You just hope that this stint on the DL and whenever he comes back, and if it's after the All-Star break, and maybe that's the best thing. Just start over. Say, okay, new season, coming back, whatever it is, July 16th after the break, and uh, let's see if we can just start. It's opening day. Go get him. Yeah, I agree. There shouldn't be so much rush, especially since they're right there at the top of the division battling with Milwaukee. There's no rush to, to get him back. One other thing I want to touch on with the Cubs, Dave, before we wrap up. Over the past few years, one of my favorite players to cover and to talk to has been Jason Hayward, in large part because I'm so impressed in the way he handles himself and the media, considering the amount of scrutiny he's gotten. Again, think about Darvish with the contract. Same thing for Hayward. He hasn't been able to hit. We've talked about how great defensively he's been, but he faces the music. He talks with the media. He's a great teammate, and now it's kind of turned around for him this year at the plate. Um, I appreciate that, I guess, as a member of the media, and I think fans should as well. A guy who's gone, th- he's, he's gotten a lot of, um, you know, Cub fans were a little frustrated with him, especially after a $180 million deal. He's turned around at the plate, and he grinds, and he grinds, and he grinds. So I think, um, I guess, do you think he, he has turned that corner, or do you think this is just kind of a flash in the pan for Hayward? Do you think um, maybe he's reverted back to his normal self from what we've seen earlier on in his career at the plate? Well, I think based on what he's done so far, and I know he's uh, it was a little inconsistent for the first month or two of the season, and then he really kind of heated up and had a great run where he had what three out of four games three hits in each one he had the the walk-off slam and all that and I, I agree with you Kev when you have a guy who stands up and faces the music so many guys like to hide in the trainer's room after games when things aren't going well when you have a guy who who has been there been a stand-up guy regardless of how things have gone for him personally I think you have to appreciate that. And I think it sets a great tone for a team which, you know, let's face it, they've had a lot of success. They don't necessarily – it's not like these guys haven't gotten attention, haven't gotten publicity. I mean, it's not like – I mean, if they hide out in the trainer's room, it's not like they'd be the first ones to do that. But I think he sets a tone for the team. And it's funny. I had someone say to me the other day, they said, well, look – you know, Jason Hayward, he's, you know, this guy's been a bust. I said, well, let's let's examine. Has he really been a bust? He plays great defense. Yeah, he hasn't hit first couple of years maybe the way people expected him to. But, oh, yeah, he, he got the team together during that rain delay in Cleveland. If he's not here, does that 10th inning happen for the Cubs? Maybe it still does. I mean, maybe you can't give him all the credit for that. But maybe he does deserve credit for that. And... Look, as far as I think a lot of Cubs fans are concerned, if that were his only contribution to the franchise, that would be worth $180 million. Well, I talked to a Cub fan the other day, and he said that exact thing, essentially, was that he will forever be a fan of Jason Hayward because of that moment. And again, who knows what would happen, but that, that he has written himself into the Cubs history book. But I think now you can point to some other contributions and say, look, that's that's not his whole body of work with the Cubs now, and he ought to get credit for that. Dave, appreciate you jumping on the podcast. It's only been 12 or 13 episodes, so I figured it was a good time to have you. Kev, thanks for asking. Good to have you on again? Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, Dave. 
Thank you to Dave Ennett again. He's my boss, folks. Feel free to shoot him a tweet and tell him how much you enjoy this podcast. Maybe write him a letter, 303 East Wacker, Chicago. Uh, love Dave. He's uh, he's great. He's the best, and I can't thank him enough for coming on the podcast. We'll have him on again down the road as well. Exciting things happening with Northwestern. I'm really, really looking forward to the season. Um, thank you. I apologize again for the two-week hiatus on the podcast, but it's back. We're moving into the new uh, new location here at 303 uh, Wacker, and the studios are coming together. Uh, they're not completely done. A little technical difficulty here and there. But we're, we're hanging in there, and I now have a place to record on a more uh, frequently and consistent basis. So uh, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. This has been the Powell at the Park podcast. Follow me on Twitter at kpowell 720 If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, rate, do all that stuff. Um, Google Play, WGNRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah.